Father, we just come before you again in Jesus' name. Lord, we're just asking that you would hear, Lord, our praises, that you'd be blessed by them. And Father, I now pray that you would just open our hearts to receive, Lord, the word that you have for us today. Lord, give me clarity of thought, mind. Help me to be able to speak what you'd have us to speak today. Help our hearts to be hearts that you would hear and that we would apply in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been speaking over the past few weeks on identity and how important it is that we understand our identity in Christ and that we understand who we are and that we don't let the enemy get in and play games with our identity because he can and he will and he wants to and he does. Amen? He does. Last week we talked about, or the week before, we talked about how our identity determines our activity and how much that's true and, and how our world gets that mixed up so many times and, and we think that our activity determines who we are or our past determines who we are. But when we look at godly identity, when we look at biblical identity, we see that our identity really determines our activity because our, our identity comes from our future, not from our past. And so for those that have a, a past or have a struggling with your past, and we all do, I struggle with my past. You probably struggle with your past. When we have those struggles, we have to let them go because they are not determining who we are. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in our future, not in our past. Now, why it's so important for us as Christians to have a true identity source? Because so many times we have this identity, we have this crisis this identity crisis in our, who we are. Because when we are Christ-like, when we're a Christian, which means a little Christ, understand what we've done. We have just stirred up an enemy. See, if I didn't have Christ in my life, if I was not living for Jesus, if I didn't proclaim to be a Christian, the enemy wouldn't bother me very much. Why would he invest time and effort into something that he's already won? If he already has me, he will give me all kinds of false blessings. He will give me all kinds of false securities, a lot of temporary blessings that would allow me to stay where I'm at because if he has me already in his clutches, he'll go on to somebody else. He's not infinite. He's a finite being. He only has so many demons. He only has so much effort. He is, not un, he is not limitless like God is. He is a created being. Therefore, he will, be, he will use his resources wisely. And so for those that are living in the world and living with the temporary successes of the world, the enemy will be happy to let them go and let them be happy. But the moment you became a, Christ, a Christian, the moment that you accepted Jesus into your life, understand that you've just entered a war. Understand that we're to count the cost at that point in time, and we're to understand that we've just created a firestorm in, in, in hell because they've lost a soul. And they're going to come back, and they're going to do everything they can to gain it back. So that's why it's so important, then, that we need to know who we are in Christ, that we need to know that we already win because Christ won. Christ won, we win. If, you, if you, we could end the service right now and just go home and just keep repeating that, Christ won, we win. Christ won, we win. That's really what it is. That's as simple and as complicated as it is. Christ won, we win. 
But so many times, though, we need to have reminders of that. We need to know that just because we're winners, we still have life to live. We still have challenges out there. We still have feelings out there. Feelings can be very disturbing. Feelings can be very discouraging. Feelings is exactly where Satan works. He works not in facts because he distorts facts. He's a liar. But he spends most of his time in my feelings. Most of my time in my mental capacity, and he brings all kinds of distractions and destructions, destructive thoughts to me. And if you're like me today, you're going to find, you're going to probably admit that you have struggles in your feelings. But it's so important that we understand that Jesus understands feelings. Jesus understands my feelings. Why do I know that? Because he created them. He understands them. He sees through my feelings. He looks into my heart. He looks into the seed of my heart where my feelings are generated from. And he understands what motivates them. He understands the intent of my heart. So if your intent is to serve Jesus, understand that your feelings are going to come and go. Some days you're going to feel good. Some days you're going to feel bad. Just recognize that you're going to feel good and bad. You cannot live on an emotional high every day. You're going to have a hard day. You're going to have a struggle. But understand that feelings don't please God, nor do feelings displease God. God is not moved by my feelings, good or bad. What God is moved by is my faith. What God is moved more by is my intent of my heart, because he sees through my feelings and he sees into my heart, and that's where my feelings reside. And he will give me, as we read this morning, he will give me the peace that transcends all understanding if we allow him to, if we understand who we are in Christ. Christ won, we win. And if I can get that firmly entrenched in my mind, if I can live that way, if I can get that settled in my mind, then my feelings do not dictate who I am anymore. Then I, even when I have those bad days, I can still stand for God. I can still stand strong. I can still stand uh, powerfully strong because I have the Holy Spirit living within me, giving me the sensation and giving me the, the, the peace that transcends all understanding of my feelings. That's why it's so important to know who we are. That's why it's so important to understand who we are and where you have to go to get that information is the Word of God. That's why it's so important that you get grounded in God's Word. You read the Word. You understand what the Scriptures say about who Christ is, about who you are, and about who we're going to be. Because if I just live a life thinking, I'm just going to think this through on my own, I'm just going to figure it out on my own. I'm just going to get a little tidbit here and a little tidbit there. And I'm going to go with what I knew and what I learned in Sunday school when I was 10 years old. And, and I'm just going to take that. And I'm going to build my future on that without getting daily in God's word. You are, on a, you are in the battlefield of warfare. And understand that Satan knows God's scriptures too. And he will take the scriptures and he'll twist them around to use them against you if you don't understand how to use them properly against him. You know, that's one thing about having a pistol in your home. I never liked guns in my home because I wasn't sure that I knew them. I, I didn't know how to use them better than the robber. <laughs> I figured if I get a pistol, he's going to grab it from me and use it against me. So therefore, I figured I'll just take a bat. <laughs> and I just have a bat under my bed. Or better yet, I just don't go out. <laughs> I let him take whatever he's got in my house. Take it. Just leave me alone. Leave me and my kids alone and my family 
But so often, if we don't understand how to use the warfare, the weapon that we're given, it can be used against us. So therefore, we have to understand. We have to get into God's Word. So there's three things we need to understand. First, we need to understand Christ's identity and know that, and make sure you understand that He won. Make sure that you, kind of, that, that you don't let the devil come in and tell you that Christ was just a good man. He was just a prophet. So many false religions today acknowledge Christ, but they acknowledge him, though, as a good man, a good teacher, a prophet, one of a number. That's the way the enemy wants to distract us. That's the way he wants to discredit the victory that Jesus had and made for us. So we need to understand who Christ is. Second, we need to understand our relationship with Christ. We need to identify our personal relationship with Christ, who is the victor. And then we need to demonstrate our daily choices to bring to pass our identity as a winner in this life and the next. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, in the message translation, gives us a great picture of who, who Christ is and that how Christ ranks above all and everything in the, in the whole universe. And the enemy who wants to constantly come in and steal and wants to take away our strength in him. Let's read that. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, in the message translation, it says this. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. I love the word original. See, when God created it originally, what did he say about his creation? It is good. When God originally created this creation, it is good. What God calls good, nobody, nothing can take away. The enemy will try. But when we see God's original purpose in everything created, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes time to the church, he organizes it. And he holds it together like a head does a body. Now remember, we're talking about Jesus, okay? Jesus does this. Jesus was supreme in the beginning. And leading the resurrection parade, or in other words, he was the first to be brought back to life after his death and, resur and, and his de resurrection, he is supreme in the end. So he was the supreme in the beginning, and he's supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds his proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. That is who Jesus is. Don't let the enemy ever get in and take it any less than that because he will and he'll do his best to destroy the identity of who Christ is. That, that gave us a great picture of who he is. He is a supreme authority above all things. Nothing compares or competes with him ever. Ever. Therefore, 
He is the one that we're striving to be like. When we're calling ourselves Christians, we're calling ourselves to be little Christs. That doesn't mean we're going to be little gods. I'm not talking about that. It means we're taking on the character of Christ. It means we're living our life according to his character, according to his authority. We're now getting our identity fashioned from him. Not fashioned from the enemy, not fashioned from my own self, not fashioned from the world. I'm getting my identity as fashioned through Jesus Christ. Now let's read on in Colossians chapters, chapter 1, verses 21 and 23, continuing on in the message. This is what it says to us. You, yourselves, that's everyone in this church right now, you yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. All right? That was your past. Remember what we talked about last week or the week before? Identity is not determined by our past. We have to get over our past. Let that go. That has no bearing in who you are anymore. But now, giving himself, this is Jesus, giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together whole and holy in his presence. And that's what I was talking about this morning. Too many of us want, not want to, because I don't think anybody wants to, but too many of us make this too difficult. We make it too hard for Jesus to come in and make us whole and holy. We struggle. We think we're not worthy. We're not capable. And let me tell you right now, you're not. And neither am I. I understand that. So let's just tell the devil, we understand we're not worthy. We're not, but because of Christ in us, we have the victory. Therefore, I don't have to struggle with that anymore. Because Jesus says that I am now being brought over to God's side. And my life now is together, whole and holy in God's presence, in the presence of Jesus. But then he goes on and he says, you don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and stay steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of that message. That passage in Scripture right there identifies who Christ is. It identifies who I am. Christ won. We win. The good news for us this morning is just that, that I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry anymore about who Christ is and who I'm going to be. I know that my relationship is with him is the purpose that I keep fighting. It is, it is worth it all. It is worth the fight now because I understand who Christ is. I understand who I want to be like and what I have to do to be like him. Now let's just read on one more time. Let's go. Let's find another passage in the Old Testament. And I know the Old Testament is the Old Testament, but let me tell you right now, it's just as true today as it was then. All right. Just because we live in a New Testament doesn't mean we don't go to the Old Testament for God's promises. And God gave us a very strong promise in Deuteronomy chapter 20, the first four verses. And He says this: When you go to war against your enemies, and see horses and chariots in an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, okay, to make this content, 
in, in our text today, in our, in our tense today, when who brought you out of Egypt really means who brought you out of your past. Because he's talking to the Israelites, Egypt was their past. Egypt was their bondage. Egypt was the place where they were in slavery. All right, so now he's talking to us, who brought you up out of your past will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. And he shall say, Hear, O Israel, or Hear, O Center Point Assembly, or Charlevoix Assembly of God, whichever one you want to call us right now, because we're still in that transition. We're still talking about our identity. Hear, O Center Point Assembly, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. So today I stand here as the priest that God has appointed over this body of believers, and I'm here this morning to tell you not to be afraid. I'm here to tell you not to be discouraged, not to be at all dismayed with what's happening around with our past, happening around what's going on around us in our community or in the world at large. There is nothing to be afraid of because God is going before us in our battles and he's taking up the battle cry. And because Christ won, we win. So many times we get, um, we get maybe distracted. Here's a good, here's a good example, I think, of, of the way our society works with today with with recognizing sometimes maybe our our future with technology we have the advent of cable tv and we can record things and with that can be a good thing or a bad thing my mom loves to watch detroit tiger baseball i never knew that in my mom but she will actually record detroit tiger baseball and so she can watch it later i never knew my mom was such an athlete (laughs) <laughs> but what she does when she does that is that, and here's the problem with that, is that if somebody tells you the score before you get to watch it, it takes away the, 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 the tension of the game. But that's not all bad because it, now she can enjoy the game without having to be stressing out who's going to win. She can now enjoy it more, not have to worry about if, if they're going to win or not. And that's kind of the way we are in our Christian walk. We know we're going to win the game. We know. We've read the end of the book. And the book says we won. But the problem with that, though, is that sometimes if we get complacent with that, if we know that the Tigers are going to win, let me tell you, they wouldn't have won unless they played a great game. They wouldn't have won unless somebody hit a home run or they hit a no-hitter or somebody did what they needed to do. So just because we know they won, somebody still had to play the game. That's where we're at today with our Christian walk. Yes, we know we win, but we still have to play the game. We still have to play our, do our responsibility. We still have to do what we're instructed to do. And we can't let the complacency of the recording take away the urgency of our life. So we still have to work. We still have to know that we have obvious responsibilities to do and that we have uh, obvious areas to do. So secondly then, that's Christ. Now, what's our, what's our relationship with Christ? 
We have to recognize our relationship with Jesus who already won. And we understand that we have responsibilities to work. We win. We know that. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us in verse 12, and we've read this before in this church, and probably we'll read it some more. Um, verse, chapter, um, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, in the contemporary English version translation, it says it this way. My dear friends, you always obeyed when I was with you. Now that I'm away, you should obey even more. So work with fear and trembling to discover what it really means to be saved. God is working in you to make you willing and, obey, and able to obey him. All right, so here it is. You're winning. You're going to win. Christ won. We win. All right, but now God has to work within me to make me willing to obey him. I still have to play the game. How do I do that? Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Then you will be the pure and the innocent children of God. You live among people who are crooked and evil, but you must not do anything that they can say is wrong. Try to shine as lights among the people of this world as you hold firmly to the message that gives life. Then on a day when Christ returns, or when the day he plays the recording back, <laughs> I can take pride in you. And I can also know that my work and efforts were not useless. Your faith in the Lord and your service are like a sacrifice offered to him. And my own blood may have to be poured out with a sacrifice. If this happens, I will be glad and rejoice with you. And in the same way, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul is telling us there that we have responsibilities to live out. We win because Christ won, but we don't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to do it on our own. God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey him. See, if we are left to do this on our own, it's impossible. God is not asking me to do something he's not going to give me the power and the ability to do. He's not going to say, all right, I'm going to tell you to be good, and then I'm going to leave you to you figured out on your own. No, he's not. He said, I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the ability. If you, if you abide in me, if you live in me, if you ask of me, I will. So now that we are claiming our relationship with Christ, we know that we're winners, why the problems in life? Why the issues? You know, why, why would Rich Miller have to hit a deer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? on a motorcycle, when he wasn't doing anything wrong, Rich was being careful, why do the bad things happen to the good people? Well, we do know that God has a bigger view of things. He can see the bigger picture, and he can see why some things have to happen. Romans chapter 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And he then is in charge. And it's God's plan, his working through us, proving out his victory in us through the difficult things that we have to deal with in our life. Earlier on in Romans 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that will, will be revealed in us. So the victory that we're going to get, the victory that is ours through Christ winning, it's worth it. We're going to have temporary problems. We're going to have issues. And, you know, I don't know that I'm the... I, it's, it's important, I believe, that we know that we're not the only ones that have gone through this. You know the old saying, misery loves company? 
we need to know sometimes that we're not the only one. And I was, I was reminded last week during the baptismal service about John the Baptist. We talked a little bit about John yesterday, last week. And here's John, who was a cousin of Jesus, a few months older than him. Um, Christ had high regard for John the Baptist. In fact, he said there is no, other, there is no greater man born to a woman than John the Baptist. That's how highly he had him in regards. And John actually knew who Christ was as well, because when they came down to baptize Jesus, and Jesus walked into the river, John said, you should be baptizing me, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, John, you baptize me. And he says, but I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. So there's clearly an identity between the two men. They knew each other. Then this next verse blows me away. All right, now let's move forward a little bit. John is in prison now. He's in prison because he was telling the, 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 uh, the king, the pharaoh, some things the pharaoh didn't want to know about his lifestyle. So the pharaoh got upset with him and brought him into prison, and now he's going to kill him. And here's John now. Okay, John's in prison. John's having a bad day. Now, things are not going well for John right now. So he goes in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, he asks a couple questions. He says, this says, John's disciples told him all about these things that Jesus was doing. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? In other words, John is questioning who Jesus is. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, doesn't it kind of surprise you that here you have two men? John knew who Jesus was, but yet he still had a question. Where do you think that question came from? Do you think it came from God? Do you think that God put a question in John's mind? Or do you think the enemy might have been a little bit active in that situation? And let me tell you right now that the enemy wanted to destroy John the Baptist. And let me tell you something else. The enemy wants to destroy you. And he wants to destroy me. He's the same enemy, same God, same situation. So what do we do? We remind ourselves, as John had to be reminded, who Jesus was. So don't let the enemy bring con condemnation to you. If you have to be reminded, it's okay. John was reminded. God is no respecter of persons. Satan is no respecter of persons. He's out to destroy you. He's out to destroy me. He's out to destroy the identity of Christ. Because if he can get us to, to doubt ourselves or doubt who we are in Christ, if he, can, if he can destroy that bigger picture of life in all of us, then he will take away the victory from us. But I'm here to tell you, Christ won, we win. Christ won, we win. And we've just gotten on watching the Olympics. All right? The Olympics, the track and field events. I love the track and field events. They're a lot of fun. One thing I see about a, a runner, when a runner is running, what are they focused on? The finish line. I don't care how long the race is. It could be the 100-meter dash or it could be the, the marathon or the, big, the longest run, and, and, and they're focused on the end. They're, they have their eyes fixed on the end of the race because that's where their victory comes from. And they have a lot of preparation to do in the meantime. However, they're working hard 
preparing for four years for the Olympics. But their mind, their, their eyes, their whole goal is focused on the finish line right now for the Olympians that are, that are going to be training for 2000, what are we in, 2016. They already are training with the goal in mind. That 100-meter dash runner is already training with the goal in mind. So likewise are we. We are in a race. Hebrews 12 tells us that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the end the author, of our perfecter, the, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is a great running scripture that, it, that helps us identify who we are and that we're to keep our eyes focused on Christ, on the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, Jesus never lost his vision. He never lost it, even through the, the difficult days of, he, of his life, because he had some tough ones. That he put the joy set before him of that cross, he didn't let that get him down. It didn't, he didn't let them destroy his identity. It was all set. He scorned its shame. He put it aside. He didn't let it affect him. Jesus was always the influencer of every situation he was in. And he sent, sat down. And when he was a conqueror, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this morning, I, I, I'm here to tell us again this morning that our, our identity in Christ is set on winning. But we need reminders every once in a while, don't we? I understand that. There's a story that was written by, uh, in a book that was written by Bob Bradley. And Pastor Bob Bradley was Paul Bradley's brother, was a pastor in the church that Chris and I went to in Ferndale where we really got our life back together back in the 80s. And he wrote a book called The Necessity of Adversity. It's really a good little book that, that Pastor Bob wrote. And he, he, he reads, he tells this story. We want to know why Satan is still a part of our life. You want to know why we still have problems? We need a little adversity in our life, whether you like it or not. The story is told about the attempts to ship fresh North Atlantic cod from Boston to San Francisco during the 19th century. At that time, the only way to ship the fish to the West Coast was to sail around the South American continent, a trip that took months. As you can imagine, the first attempts to dress the cod in Boston and pack them in ice failed miserably. By the time they reached California, the fish weren't exactly fit for consumption. Next, the cod were placed in holding tanks full of water, shipped to California alive, and dressed there. The results were some better, but less than satisfactory. The fish didn't get much exercise during the trip, and as a result, they were pasty and relatively tasteless. Finally, someone hit upon an interesting idea. Why don't we put some catfish in with the cod? Why? Because catfish are cod's natural enemy. Sure enough, when a few catfish were placed in those tanks with them, the cod were always alert and swimming around. This time, when the fish reached San Francisco, they were in perfect shape. One may wonder why God doesn't do away with Satan. Why not dispose of this bothersome pest and make it easy for all of us? God is not interested in making it easy for us, but making us better. 
Let's remember God is getting us ready for eternity in heaven, not a scenic tour on a comfortable cruise ship. We have to be sober-minded and vigilant unless Satan sneaks up and devours us. He was quoting 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. What, that's a great story of what adversity is. Why do we need? Why doesn't God just take it away? Because I know me. I'm basically lazy. Are you basically lazy? Come on, be honest with me. If you didn't have to do something, would you do it? If you liked it, you would do it. But living a Christian life isn't always for the lazy-hearted person. Living a Christian life, we need a pride every, some, every once in a while. We need, that we need that catfish. We need that, that chasing us around the fishing tank a little bit or the fish tank a little bit. We need that. Jackie, if you'd come as we conclude this morning. You know, we all need reminders sometimes of who we are in Christ. Christ won. We win. Do you notice anything different in the sanctuary this morning? What do you notice? Yeah. I put up the target back up. And I put up the rope. And, you know, when you look around, part of, part of walking into church or walking into your life, you need to look for reminders. You need to put some things that would prod you along a little bit. I like the banners my wife made 20 years ago that fit this church perfectly without even knowing that they were going to be in this church. Perfect colors. She made them 20 years ago. Isn't that perfect? Rejoice. We need to have a reminder to rejoice. We read it this morning, rejoice, and I say it again, rejoice. We need reminders to rejoice. The target, remember the target was, this, we put the target up a couple of years ago, talking about every time you walk into this place, look at the target. Where are your eyes focused? Are you focused on life here? Are you focused on the temporary things in life? Or are you focused on the eternal? Are you focused on what is going to get you where you want to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful. See, he's not going to say, well done, thou good and faithful, because you have a new car in your driveway. He's not going to say, well done, thou good and faithful, because you have a nice house and you keep the grass mowed really nice. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful, because you served the least of these. Because you did what Drew's doing, because you've, you have a burden and you're going to set up a, a, a ministry for 6 to 12-year-old boys that we don't even have in our church because we're going to change lives. That's what he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful for. When we put together special needs ministries in our church for those that are least of these, that's, when his, that's what he's going to say that for. He doesn't say it because we can come comfortably in this place and we can sit in that fish tank being sent to, across the, the nation lazy. He puts, the, he puts the catfish in with us a little bit to chase us around and we need to have the adversity. We need to have the challenges of life that would give us the assurance that we win because Christ won, but yet I have work to do. If I'm going to be there recording, I have to play the game. I can't fast forward through all that. I can fast forward to the commercials, and that's not a bad thing because that's where the distractions of life come from. Fast forward to the commercials, but play the game. I have the rope. We talked about the rope a couple weeks ago, and the significance of the rope is this. If I was to take this down and unroll it, which we did before. This is a timeline of eternity. Right? 
That's eternity, and that goes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never ends. It never ends. Can you can you gra- anybody here grasp that? It never ends. Here's my life, right? I have a beginning point at my life. This little green tape, which is very very small in relationship to that long rope of eternity. This is the end of my life. What I do in that little green area here determines what I do at the end of that rope, which never ends. I need reminders like this. I need to know that the temporary things in life don't matter. They're going to burn. They don't matter what I gain here. What matters is what I do for Christ. What am I doing with my life that matters? That determines here everything I do down there. That's why we're going to leave the rope up here. We're going to leave the target up here. You see this over here? This is names of people that have died in our church. This is the Reuben Wambergs of the world who prayed me into the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old. There's a Cecil Dross here that how many people here were impacted by Cecil's life? How many people were saved as a result of Cecil Dross? My dad's on here. My grandparents are on here. Sister Ryder's on here. Ethel Ryder, John Ryder, Eugene Drost is on here. Nina Autocrick's on here. See, we have reminders here because these are the people that went on before us. That great cloud of witnesses we talked about in Hebrews chapter 12, that's them. That's that great cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us, watching us. They're, they're encouraging us. They're, they're praying us on. I believe wholeheartedly that my spiritual blessing, my spiritual inheritance is because my, my dad and my grandma and grandpa and my Uncle Bob and my Aunt Florence and, and Reuben Womberg, I believe right now that God is opening up a window of heaven. And he says, I want you to look down and I want you to see this church. I want you to see these people. And that, that inheritance that we have is not because they were good people and they lived a past life. Remember, our past doesn't identify us. Our future identifies us. They're praying for us. They're at the right hand of the throne of God just like Jesus is because Jesus is our brother. We are a co-heir with Christ. So they have every right to be at the right hand of the throne of Father just like Jesus is. And what's Jesus doing? He's interceding for the saints. Jesus is praying for me. Nina Autokirk is praying for you, Bob. Your mother's praying for you. Eugene is praying for you, Margaret, and for your boys. He's praying for your family. He's interceding. See, if he had a burden for them while he lived, he's still got a burden for them in heaven right now because there is still a war going on. The war is still happening in the heavenlies all around us. The spiritual warfare is happening all around us. And we are going to win because Christ won. But we have to live it out. And we have to spur ourselves on, and we have to get encouragement to each other, and we have to do what's to the least of these. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. These reminders we have need to keep us doing this little poem that I received from Sister B, actually, Bob Bradley's wife, who's still alive today. She wrote, she, she gave me this poem, 
And let me read it to you. This is what we do when life gets tough. This is what we do when we don't know what else to do. It says, plot on, plot on, plot on, plot on. Plot on, plot on, plot on. Plot on, plot on, plot on, plot on. I've memorized it. Plot on, plot on, plot on, plot on. And the second and third verses are the same, so I'll spare you of my poetry. But that's what we do, folks. That's what we do. We just set our focus on Christ. We just set our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we plod on. Do you want to plod on with me this morning? Let's stand. And let's sing the song that Jackie's playing this morning. And, and let's, just, let's just spend some time now. It's 12 o'clock. Let's spend a few minutes in praise and worship. And let's plod on for Christ. Let's know where our identity comes from. And let's not settle for anything less. And let's know that we won because Christ won. Amen. Let's just sing. Let's just worship for a few minutes. And then we'll pray. We'll go home in Jesus' name. You're welcome to move around. Do what you've got to do. But just make yourself comfortable and praise the Lord in Jesus' name. Seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, but suffered as if he did. All authority, every victory is yours. How many here this morning keep singing, Jackie? How many here have problems in your life? How many, how many people are praying for your kids? How many are interceding for problems in your life? This is it right here. This is the victory we have because Christ won. Dig in here. Praise Him. Settle in. Understand who He is.
this morning, if you need to pray, I'd love to pray with you. We're going to dismiss. We're going to pray. We're going to send you home today to be a victor in Christ today. Understand who you are. Don't let the devil come in and take anything from you today because you won. Because you won because Christ won. And that's the thing we have to get through. That's the identity that we have to have as we move forward in this community, in our life. No matter where you're at, if you're in high school, college, living a working job here, or retired, it doesn't make any difference. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for doing a mighty work on our behalf. We thank you, Jesus, for you overcoming. Lord, we thank you that you did not stop. You did not compromise. You did not do one thing that would disqualify you from being the perfect example, the perfect witness. Lord, you were the perfect sacrifice for our sin, and we thank you so much for that. And, Lord, because of that, now we walk in authority. Lord, we have power in authority knowing that we win because you won. And so, Lord, I pray now each one of us would let that settle in our spirit, settle in our homes, settle in our jobs, settling in our identity as people and as a church. And in this community, Father, I pray, do your work in us, Holy Spirit. Do your work. We give you our hearts and our lives. We honor you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. If you want to pray, we're still going to have some prayer at the altar. If you want to pray, come pray. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father.